Uh, let's go to Romans 8, 25. I'm sorry, 26 through 28. Last week, I told you that we were just going to cover 26 and 27. But as I was studying, I realized that we really needed to cover 28 to be faithful to what 26 and 27 tell us. Next week, we're going to cover verses 28 through 30. So this week is 26 through 28. Next week is 28 through 30. So in Romans 8 so far, we've been learning about the Holy Spirit and how he brings the grace and the presence of God and the power of God to us. We've been learning about how we can know that we're saved. You know, we don't have to come to Jesus and wonder if we're going to be with him forever or not. Salvation isn't a maybe. It's a you are mine. That's what God says. It's not a if you're good enough. Because we already know we're not good enough, but Christ is good enough. So it can be a sure thing, not because of our performance, but because of Christ's performance on the cross and throughout his entire life. His perfection, his merit, all that he has achieved, all that he has earned. We've learned in the last couple weeks that our life as a life of su- our life as a Christian is a life of suffering and that that has to happen as a preparation for glory. That has to happen if we are going to be with God forever and receive all that he has to give us. And last week we learned that it's not just God's goal to get us into heaven. We learned that God isn't just going to destroy the earth and, and be done with it and take us away into some nice ethereal spiritual reality with no physicality. But we learned that God is in the business of redeeming and restoring his entire creation. And our end point, our goal is not just so we can be with God in heaven, but it's so that we can be with God in a perfected, renewed, restored planet. This planet, but this planet with no sin. So we saw that creation is groaning as it waits for that to happen. And we saw that God's people are groaning as we're waiting for God to make all things new. We learned that God is not making new things, but he is making all things new. So our passage today, someone else is groaning. It's not just creation. It's not just God's people, but the Holy Spirit, God himself is groaning. And if you follow this passage carefully, if you look at it and think through it critically and examine it for yourself, you, and you believe it, you will find this passage to be one of the most comforting passages in all of Scripture. It has been a week of great joy as I have dug into this, and I pray by God's grace that I may convey the meaning of it to you clearly. And that God would work in our hearts accordingly. So with all that being said, 
uh, 26 through 28. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So this is the word of God. Give yourself to it these next few minutes. Read it as much as you can. And when the time's right, your discussion leader will begin the discussion. So our passage today has to do with how we live our life in this already and not yet period of time that we're in. What do I mean by already and not yet? I mean that Christ has already saved us, but we're not completely saved yet. Christ has already saved us, But we are not completely saved yet. Salvation was accomplished by Jesus on the cross. He died. He rose again. He died for the sin of man. He rose again, defeating sin in the grave, defeating the devil. And we have called on him in faith and he has saved us. And that's said and done. But in the New Testament... Paul says, and others say clearly, that we are saved. And then in other places he says, we are being saved, as it is a progressive thing. And he also talks about us being saved in the future tense. We will be saved. And so, this giant chunk of Romans 8 that we're spending a lot of time in, has to do with that already not yet part of our salvation. That part where we're saved, but we're not completely set free from all the sin. But we're saved in the sense that God is no longer angry with us. He's given us His Spirit, and that shows us that we are children of God, that we belong to God, and we're crying out, Abba, Father... And as verse 25 said, that we learned last week, we are waiting patiently. So this verse is about the waiting. These verses are about the waiting. Our passage has to do with how we live our life or how we suffer. We saw that in 17 and 18. How we suffer as we look forward to the glory that is to come. So in verses 20 through 22, we saw that creation, all of creation, is suffering and groaning and waiting for that final day when all things are made right. Verses 23 through 25, we saw that we are suffering, we are groaning, we are waiting patiently, and that we can wait patiently with rock-solid hope. Rock solid. 
hope. Our hope is built on a firm foundation. And in our passage today, while we are waiting patiently, God is praying for us that we'll get there. Amen. Isn't that cool? You know, we get a lot of things wrong, right? <laughs> yes, my life story, yours too. But here, God is doing for us what we ought to be doing that we are not doing ourselves. How kind and incredible of a Savior do we have? And if we look ahead to verses 29 and 30, y'all, we're headed to glory. Look at the end of verse 30. Those who are justified will be glorified. So, let's start at 26. First word. Likewise. Likewise. It's obviously, you know, very much linked to what we've been reading thus far in chapter 8. But what we see in 26 is that the Holy Spirit is longing and looking forward to the day when everything is made new. The Holy Spirit is looking forward to the return of Christ just like we are. The Holy Spirit is grieved and saddened by evil just as we are. And he is looking forward, not it, he, the Spirit of God, who is God, he is looking forward to the day when all evil is conquered, when it's all vanquished, and when our salvation is complete. So likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He helps us, you all. He helps us. We don't have to live the Christian life all by ourselves. We don't have to figure it out all by ourselves. When we have a hard time praying, it doesn't mean we're up the creek because God comes in and He fills the gaps. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And you all know at my house, our weakness, our limitations, our just the brokenness of the world has just been thrust upon my home, my family, in a very unique way in the last three or four weeks. And I'm not the only one. All of us in here got our stuff. Some, we all have our seasons. Some seasons are a lot worse than other seasons. This word for um, help is only found one other time in the New Testament. Do y'all remember the story of Mary and um, Martha and Jesus comes to visit? Martha was distracted with much serving. She goes up to Jesus and she says, you know, they got a lot of people over. There's a lot of work to do in the kitchen. You know, they're entertaining and all that stuff, right? Martha goes up to Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care? My sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. Jesus, tell 
my sister Martha, I mean, tell my sister Mary to help me. I can't do it all. And I say to you today, the help of God is required. He does not expect His people to do it all. He knows our weakness and our limitations far better than we do. He loves us anyway, doesn't He? And He comes. And He does for us what we cannot and what we do not do for ourselves. This helping, the Holy Spirit helping, it has to do with joining someone in their work. It has to do with uniting with another to fulfill their calling. There is a a task involved. And when Martha spoke to Jesus about Mary, Martha was saying, my sister needs to help me with all the chores. Well, here, the Holy Spirit helps us live the life that God has called us to live. Now, Jesus told us the Holy Spirit would come help us. Just the, the, night, the day before Jesus died on the cross, He says this. He says, I'm going to ask God the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. This is a promise. It's John uh, 14, 16. Jesus says, I'm going to ask God the Father to give you a helper. He's going to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. Jesus goes on to say, you know Him. You know the Holy Spirit. He was telling His disciples the night before He died that you already know the Holy Spirit. He dwells with you and He's going to be in you. So at that time, that day before Jesus died, Jesus said the Holy Spirit is already with you, but in the future He's going to be in you. It is a basic doctrine of the Christian faith that if you have believed in Christ, then the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Okay, if you have Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit. I want everyone to know that. If you don't have Jesus, you know the Holy Spirit might be interacting with you, but He's not in you. He does not live inside of you. So here, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness while we Wait. These weaknesses have to do with our struggles in a broken world. This word for weakness has to do is is used uh, oftentimes in the Bible to refer to sicknesses and illnesses. It also has to do with temptations, generally speaking. But if you look at the rest of verse 26, Paul has a very specific weakness in mind. Paul the Apostle doesn't pray the way he should. Alright? I'm with him. You with him? Second part of 26. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. Okay. Uh, guilty. Y'all, I work really hard to pray. I, I, I carve out time for it. I, I want y'all to do the same. I, you know, just like you plan time to make dinner, just like 
you, you plan time to, to watch your favorite show, just like you plan time to give your kids a bath and, and you know, all those important things. You know, do you plan to pray? Prayer has to be at, at, the, at the forefront of our lives. It must be one of the greatest priorities for us as Christians. But no matter how well we do in prayer, we still don't know how to pray as we ought, do we? Our prayers still have, they could be better. We could grow more in prayer. We could pray more effectively. We could pray more zealously. We could pray more thoroughly. Y'all tell me to pray for you, and I do, but I don't do it as much as I could or should. And every once in a while, someone says something to me about it, and it's like, oh man, I hadn't prayed about that in a week, two weeks. You know, they talked to me three months ago. Yeah, I got places I write stuff down, and that helps me, helps me a lot. And I use that. But I don't pray as I ought. But the Spirit Himself, look at 26, He prays. The word intercede has to do with prayer. I'll talk more about that in a moment. So we don't pray as we should, but the Spirit prays as we should. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You all, God the Spirit is talking to God the Father about us. There's this divine conversation. We have one God. We worship one God. But He exists in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they work together. They are one God. They are united in some type of mysterious way that none of us can fully understand or comprehend. I look forward to being more fully in their presence in an age yet to come. And maybe we'll know a little bit more then than we do now. But the Spirit, one member of the Trinitarian Godhead is speaking to God the Father, another member of the Trinitarian Godhead. Now, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they work together all the time. They work together in creation, okay? It was the, the, the God the Father's idea. The Son was the one who created everything. And then after He created it all, the Bible says the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Our salvation... God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all working together to make it happen. They're all working together to maintain it. They work together to bring it to us. They work together to assure us of it and to make sure that we persevere until the end. They've all got their role. They all got their place. And here, God is talking to God about us. So this word intercede, it has to do with coming between someone. You know, I've taught quite a bit on interposition over the last couple years. If there's a a bully and a victim, someone comes between the two of them. They interpose, they get between them, and they stop something from happening, right? Well, intercede is a little bit similar for that. In this verse, we have God the Father, and He's not an oppressor. This is not interposition, it's intercession. But we've got God the Father and we've got us and there is something lacking, there's something needed and so God the Son gets between us. I'm sorry, God, well God the Son does do that but in this verse, God the Spirit 
comes between God and us and does what is needed. See, the Spirit made us sons of God. And it's neat because the Spirit isn't the only one coming between us and God, but the Son comes between us and God also. Jesus serves as our perfect mediator. He is God's priest. He is God's prophet. He is God's king. God sent him to bring us to God. In Romans 8 verse 34, Paul writes that Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. So the Spirit is here praying for us. And Jesus is sitting at God's right hand with all authority in heaven and on earth being given to him. And Jesus is also praying for us. Look at the person right beside you. Most of you can do that. All right. that, that, that's, that's how close Jesus and the Father is. And Jesus is talking to the Father about you. If you're a Christian. Hebrews 7.25, the writer of Hebrews says that God is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So not only is the spirit in us and here praying for us, but Jesus is praying for us also. The spirit is interceding. He is asking God to make us faithful. He is asking God to supply everything we need to live this life. Because this life is hard, isn't it, y'all? It is hard. And he's praying with groanings. He intercedes for us with groanings. All right? This word, I've been trying to figure out what groanings mean. I, I did look into it. Some people think that it has to do with praying in tongues. I don't see it. There is some similarity in language between this passage and 1 Corinthians 14, where it talks a lot about praying in tongues and unknown language, uh, where, where God's, some of God's people have this gift, some of them don't, but we can talk to God in that language. It, it is a very, uh, it, it, for the most part, a very personal thing. But the main reason I don't think that's what Paul has in mind here is because... Everything in Romans 8 has to do with all of God's people. But not all of God's people have the gift of praying in tongues or any particular gift. Okay, we all, we have, we all have a number of gifts and they're all distributed as God would see fit, but we're not all given the same gift. But here in Romans 8, we all have the gift of the Spirit. And all these things in Romans 8 are true of all Christians. So I don't think these groanings have anything to do with praying in tongues. I think these groanings have to do with that angst and that difficulty that we experience while we wait for something. These groanings have to do with that angst and difficulty while we have to wait for something. Um, Do you remember... Uh, in the book of Exodus, you know, God's people are enslaved and, and by the Egyptians. They're building the pyramids and the Sphinx and all this stuff. And, and they were enslaved 
And they were making bricks and doing construction work. And they cried out to God. They were groaning under a heavy burden. They were asking in their groanings for deliverance. They were waiting to be saved from their awful slave master. And if you're familiar with the story of the Bible, you know that God delivered them with great miracles from the hand of Pharaoh and from the clutches of Egyptian slavery. If you look at Acts chapter 7, verse 34, uh, Stephen, right before he dies, is telling the story of the Israelites in Egypt. And, and, and he's, telling what, he's saying what God said. He's telling the story. And God said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning. I have come down to deliver them. See, groaning takes place prior to deliverance. Once you're delivered, do you have anything to groan about? No, we don't. See, they were waiting for salvation and deliverance in the midst of its slavery in Egypt. We are waiting for our final and complete and total salvation and deliverance in a sinful, in a broken world. Groaning is what happens as we look forward to redemption. See, the creation groans looking forward to the return of Christ and the restoration of all creation. And we share in this groaning looking for the same thing. And the Spirit shares in this groaning. He is looking forward to everything being made right. We get to verse 27 and we see a little bit more about the Spirit's ministry of prayer for us. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You all, this means that God is searching our hearts. And He knows what the Spirit of God is thinking about. Because the Spirit of God is talking to God about us. There's some things about this verse. It just seems kind of like an odd thing to say. I'm wondering if I'm missing something. I, you know, the commentaries I read, a couple sermons I listened to on this by guys ten times smarter than me. You, you know, there's, there's just something about this verse that I think we're missing. What I know that we can count on is that God is the one who searches the hearts of men. And I know, because it says it, That God knows what is on the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit is talking to God. And He's talking to God about who? Us. So we also see in this verse that the Spirit is always praying God's will. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for. Here's how you figure out what to pray for. You say, what does God want to do with this? And then you just pray that. And if you know your Bibles really well, it helps you to know what God wants to do. It helps you to know his will. What is his will? It is just his desire. It's just what he wants. You know, uh, how many of y'all like to have a good night's sleep? Amen. That's your desire. That's your will. And sometimes you get it. Sometimes you don't. Right. Amen. <laughs> so in, in that example just comes from a conversation I had with one of you moments ago. 
But God's will has to do with His desire. And so the Spirit of God is asking the Father to do what the Father has already said He wants to do. The Spirit of God is talking to God about the plan of God. So they just talk about what God wants to do and how to get it done all the time. It's amazing. See, God and His Spirit are always on the same page. Married people, are you always on the same page with your spouse? No! You're not. You're two people and God has made you one. Well, in the Godhead, we have three persons and He is one. He is always on the same page. He is always on the same page. And the Spirit is interceding for the saints. Who are the saints? It's not just the old dead people who did incredible things for God, but it's all of God's people. The word saint has to do with one who is holy. And all throughout the Bible, all throughout the New Testament, God's people are called saints because we have the righteousness of Jesus. We don't have our own righteousness, but we have Christ's righteousness and therefore we are holy. See, God is talking to God about us and God's plan for us. You all, we can be sure that we will make it until the end because God is talking to God about it, for this is the will of God. I believe a primary component of the will of God in the context of Romans 8 has to do with us making it to the end. We see reference made to our resurrection and glorification, which is one and the same. We, we see reference made to that at least five times from verse 11 to verse 30. God is talking to God about us and God's plan for us. And we can be assured that we will be faithful until the end because God is talking to God about us making it until the end. Matthew Henry says, The Spirit makes intercession to God and therefore the enemy cannot prevail. You hear that? The Spirit prays for us, and because of that, the enemy cannot prevail over you. There's an incredible note of victory in that. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says this. He says, I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. What is the will of God for you? He's going to bring you home to glory. All those who truly belong to Him will make it to Him. Now there are some who come and they look like they're with us, but then they leave and it proves they're really not with us. Read 1 John 2.19 if you want to go into that a bit deeper. It is a real thing. There's a lot of people that look like Christians for a little bit of time, but they aren't. They don't remain faithful. There's a lot of people, they get dunked. They go down in the water, they come back, they join the church. Sometimes they even go to seminary for a year or two. But they don't belong to God. Philippians 1, Paul says, I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. This has to do with the perseverance of God's people, the perseverance of the saints. That's a term I've, I've brought to you a little bit recently, and we're going to be talking about that a lot in the weeks ahead. What is the perseverance of the saints? It is the will of God 
that all those who truly know God will be faithful to the end. Perseverance of the saints is the doctrine from the Bible that says all that belong to God, they're going to get all the way there to the end. There might be speed bumps. Sometimes you'll go three steps forward and two steps back. But God's people don't go three steps forward and ten steps back and two steps forward and five steps back. Those folks don't belong to the Lord. Look at verses 28 through 30 of Romans 8. We know, here, this is the will of God. Verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. You all, God is sovereign over our salvation. If He wasn't, then there's no way you can know for sure that you're saved. God is sovereign over our salvation. And if you belong to Him, then He has promised to bring it all to completion. It's not you earning it and getting yourself there and God being indebted to you. He don't owe you nothing. But it's all by His free grace. And when we see in this passage that the Spirit of God is praying for you, the will of God, so that you will be glorified, you see His sovereign, powerful hand doing everything inside of you that is necessary for you to get there. John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says. He goes on to say, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. See, God is sovereign over our salvation. That is a very offensive thought to some. And and I, I am that thought has offended me horribly in the past. It occasionally offends me today as I work through this stuff. Okay? If, if you're planning to be here in the next two months, just know you're going to get really, really offended by the Word of God. Even some of us who absolutely love the Word of God, we're going to be offended by what I'm going to teach you from Romans 8 and 9. All right? You're going to leave church possibly extremely aggravated. Some of you might even want to leave the church because you don't like what it says. But I'm going to work very, very hard to show you what it says. And I want you to wrestle through the difficulty. Wrestle through the hardship. You might have to change other things that you thought are true because other things that you have assumed won't fit with some of the teaching in Romans 8 and 9. There are things that you have thought that were always true that you assumed were in the Bible that were not. And we're going to have to repent of that to some degree. God is sovereign over our salvation. If he was not, we could not have assurance. Let's do John chapter 6 verse 38. Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me. See, Jesus 
loses none of his people. He says he will raise them up on the last day. You all, God is sovereign over our salvation. If he wasn't, we could not have assurance. The Holy Spirit is praying for our glory. And our glory is the will of God. And because of this, you all, we can have incredible confidence. All right, so, you know, some people are confident, right? And they're like really confident. It's the real thing. They have reasons to be confident. Then other people want everybody else to think that they're confident. (laughs) But they're really not, right? Some people have very misplaced confidence. They think they're all that in a bag of chips, and they're not even close to being half of it. I want to tell you that our confidence can be rock solid and firm. If Jesus is holding on to you, no one will snatch you out of his hand. If the Spirit is talking to God about you, praying the will of God over you, you're going to make it. And you're not going to make it because you figured it out, but you're going to make it because God is gracious and kind to us. You all, we can be confident that we will make it to the end. We can have assurance of our salvation. We can have assurance of the life to come because the perfect spirit is praying perfect prayers according to God's perfect will to bring us to perfection. We can be confident because the perfect spirit of God is praying perfect prayers according to God's perfect will to bring us to perfection. And we get in verse 28 and there's, A lot of good stuff about right now. Okay? We don't have to wait for all the good stuff. The good stuff can happen now. And we can be confident of good in this life. For he says in verse 28, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Which things work together for good for his people? All things. All things. Our sufferings in this life and in this world, our sufferings mentioned in verse 17 and 18, our trials and tribulations, those things work together for our good. The weaknesses referred to in verse 26 where it says the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. All of our weaknesses, all of our shortcomings, all of our infirmities, if we love God and if we're called according to his purpose, then all of those difficult things work together for our good. The home you come from and the hardship of your upbringing. The bad things that people have done to you. The bad things that you have done to other people. Our greatest regrets, our greatest mistakes, God can bring good out of those. Do you believe that? It is true, I tell you. It is true. And that truth changes your entire outlook on life. 
This is not true for the unbeliever. Don't ever share this verse with someone who doesn't know Christ and give them false hope. I've seen it done. I've probably done it. This is for the Christian. This rock-solid hope is only for those who belong to Christ. Now look, it says, this is true for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. I want to tell you, you can't love God without being called by God. And if you have been called by God, you will love him. And I'll also tell you, when you look at the Christian t-shirts and the stupid bumper stickers, 95% of Christian bumper stickers are dumb, in my opinion. That's not Bible, that's my opinion. I want to be very clear about that. But when you see the bumper sticker, when you see the t-shirt, it says, all things work together for good to those who love God. And then they leave out the called according to his purpose part. We we, We don't get to give people one slice of the pizza. We need to give them the whole thing and say, look at all of it. Because it's all important. You've got to look at the whole thing. So what does it mean to love God? We're going to get into that soon in the weeks ahead. What does it mean to be called according to God's purpose? We will get into that in the weeks ahead. What, does, what, is, what is God's purpose? We will be getting into that. In the weeks ahead, commentator R.J. Rushduni says this about Romans 8.28. He says, it gives the Christian an amazing security because it declares that in terms of God's perfect and total government, we can never lose. It also sets forth our security in him. Romans 8.28 gives the Christian an amazing security. Y'all, I've got insecurities. Every once in a while I'm around people that draw them out of me. It just feels gross, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Nobody likes that. But we can be secure in our relationship with God. We don't have to live our life wondering if we belong to him. Our confidence is that he is holding on to us. And he is working what is necessary in us to get us to the end. What do I want you to do? If you don't know Christ or if you are rebelling against Christ and you aren't welcoming him in your life, then I want you to repent, and I want you to come to Jesus right now and be done with doing things your own way. I want all of these things in this passage to be true for you. I want every bit of this to be true for you. You can't hold up this world and keep yourself safe and secure You can barely even control what time you get out of bed or even what your hair does today or tomorrow. You get irritated at the slightest little thing and it should just go to prove you aren't in control of anything. 
But I tell you, there is a God who loves you. There is a God who welcomes you. There is a God who says, come to me right now and He will receive you as you are. And He will hold you tight. He will wash away your guilt. He will wash away your shame. He will wash away your sin. He will take all of your disobedience. He will cast it as far as the east is from the west. He will never look at it again and you don't have to look at it again either. And that is His love for us. So if you are far from God, if you are rebelling against God, if you're just telling Him, if you're just rejecting His authority and His leadership, I want you to stop and I want you to come. If you're here today and you are walking with God and and going with Him, following His leadership, if you've accepted His authority in your life, then I want you to rest secure and comfortable and confident in His loving embrace. I want you to know that He is working within Himself to get you to the end. And everything God purposes to do, everything He sets out to do, He accomplishes it. No one gets Him off track. No one interrupts Him. No one causes him to make a mistake. If he's going to hold on to you, he's going to hold on to you. And I want you to believe that and accept that. Our God's love is incredible. Let us receive it. And let us run to him. Let's pray, church.